evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Mahoning Drive-In Theater, the largest single-screen drive-in in the United States. We're certainly glad you could be with us this evening. And don't forget the concession stand is open with all kinds of great things to eat and drink. Mahoning Drive-In Radio, your old friend Virgil back once again for another exciting episode of the podcast. As you guys know, the only podcast dedicated to the love and revival of our beloved drive-in culture. Joined as always by my co-host and general manager extraordinaire, Mark. Say hello, Mark. Hello. And we got King Jeff in the house, projectionist and owner extraordinaire. Jeff, say hello, my friend. Hello, everybody. Nice to have you with us. Now, when we started this podcast venture, it really was about shining a light on the culture across the country of the drive-ins past and present. Born off of that was bringing in some staple businesses that have been responsible for the drive-in experience, culture, and everything that surrounds it. And when you talk about the drive-in, the first thing that comes to screen uh, comes to mind is the towering screens that live in front of us, bigger and larger than life. And today we have uh, Mark and Zach Spatz and Dave McIlvain with us, all owners of Selby Screens out of Richfield, Ohio. Welcome, guys. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thanks for having us on. What a pleasure. So excited, uh, a little inside baseball. We've been going back and forth to lock down the time to do this interview. Um, So it's a long time coming, but I think the fans will truly appreciate hearing what the magic of Selby is. And I'll just give a little brief intro before I ask you guys about the history of Selby. But the first drive-in screen you guys built was in 1947. And you're still doing it to this day. That is incredible. So, uh, Dave, why don't you give us a little bit of history? From what I understand, you've been with the business a little bit longer. Yeah, so um, I come from a construction background in general, heavy industrial background. And um, I happened to be looking for an industrial warehouse in the Richfield uh, Akron area. And we found this building owned by Jerry Selby. We were using it for warehousing purposes, not for building screens. But as I got to know Jerry, I learned more about his business and the history of his of the company, you know, multi-generational business. And we were buying the building from him. And Jerry came to me a couple of months later and said, hey, I'd like to lease back some of the space. I've got a movie screen to build. And I said, well, that's fantastic. Of course, you know, we've got plenty of room in here. So he started building one and I was back there watching them fabricate these things. So the way they do this is they fabricate the trusses in the warehouse and then ship them out in pieces, large pieces, usually two to three towers per column. So, you know, it takes weeks and weeks, months really to build all these things. That's where all the hard work goes and all the engineering is, is in building these trusses. And Jerry's father was a, brilliant engineer and came up with this design and the more I sort of dove into it with him and heard the history of the family and how they had done this and the building that we were are in was built in the 60s and they had subsequently added on to it over the years and um, 
made it into a, you know, just a great steel fabrication facility. The more I got interested in it, the more I thought it might be fun to try to build one. So Jerry took me under his wing and showed me the ropes, you know, everything from steel fabrication in the shop. And then we, you know, of course went out and erected a number of these over the years. And I, I just thought it was great. And one of the things I learned is this whole subculture of drive-in movie aficionados who, you know, just love the nostalgia and the experience of, you know, watching movies outdoors. So yeah. the more I watched and learned, the more I wanted to, you know, see if we could carry this torch forward a little bit. So we love that so much. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the beauty of a lot of the drive-ins that are running that aren't family owned have a very similar situation as you. They came in, they took the love and the passion for what the business has to offer and carries it on somehow. And that's the beautiful thing about your guys' business is you're synonymous with the drive-in culture, but you're still alive, you know? You're still rocking and rolling to this day. Yes, and it's it was a really steep learning curve for me. And, and Jerry, its knowledge of the business is just unparalleled, quite frankly. I mean, they not only built the screens, they owned some of the theaters in the area. Yeah. Um, so, so they know the, they knew the business inside and out. I mean, he's just a wealth of information, and I learned all, so much from him. And Jerry's second generation? That's correct. His father started the company. That's, a, that's incredible. So I, I, you guys, the, the thing that stands out is the promotion. And a lot of times the nostalgia of promotion, especially in the drive-in culture, is as much of an allure and pull as the actual product is. You mm -hmm. know, from uh, the screen ads to the books that we would get in the projection booth, things like that. So when did you guys find that Selby kind of saw its boom? Was it around the 60s, I guess, when they got the warehouse? Yes. Yeah. They they bought the property back in the 60s. It was an industrial development. And they actually fabricated, at the beginning, outdoors. They just worked out in the field. And they really built this business literally from the ground up. Wow. Pardon my pun. Yeah. But they literally, you know, as the business grew, they built facilities to accommodate it. And, you know, they started with a 10,000 square foot building, ended up with a 20,000 square foot building, and then added another couple thousand feet for office space. Right. So it was just one of those businesses that really took off in the 60s and 70s. And they built, I think, around 2,000 screens, if you can believe that, literally all over the country and some international screens as well. It seems like the business followed the, the, you know, kind of the wave of the whole drive-in movie theater market. Like they were in it in the right place at the right time. And they, they were simply, there for the boom. Yep. And they simply thoughtfully rode the wave as it, as it boomed. And then, you know, obviously as, as it's declined also. Right. Well, the thing I love about, you know, all the surviving remaining drive-ins and also the businesses that, you know, have built those drive-ins, you found a way to navigate. You found a way to, run your business and make it work, even though the industry, the landscape, everything else is changing around you seemingly every year. Yeah, because if, if you don't do that, then you don't exist. That's right. <laughs> That's right. So those big boom days, obviously drive-ins 
were kind of your bag, but did it did it expand beyond that? Really, anybody who needed a screen or a structure, or was it strictly drive-in screens for a while? Oh uh, no, Jerry's family are consummate, you know, entrepreneurs, engineers. So they're always looking for opportunities out there. So they got into, and and in fact, invented what's known as the monolithic billboard. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with 480 in Cleveland, but monolithic billboards are basically one, as the term indicates, one pole that comes up out of the ground instead of having all that structure, just one single, yeah, single pole. And they actually invented that. So they branched into that and all manner of steel fabrication. They got into some outdoor steel furniture at one point. They got into the structural sign business for a while. You know, those illuminated, those backlit illuminated signs you see that project from a building. Oh, yeah. You know, they would fabricate the steel and then get someone to, to build the illuminated uh, panels that go in the front. Right. And uh, yeah, so they, what they always sort of sought were niche businesses, things that people just, you know, weren't doing. There are a lot, you know, because Jerry and I talked about this at one point. I said, well, you know, maybe we should just do fabrication, you know, of all sorts. And he said, there are welding shops everywhere in Ohio because it's an industrial state, right? Sure. Yeah. So you need to find markets where the margins are better and the competition is scarce. So oh, man. they were very, man. very nimble about, you know, finding those areas of business that you know were, were new to the area and and they would work them until they got you know they would get flooded with competition and they would move on to a, another business model so they were just you know the type of guys that really knew how to stay nimble and use what they had to further the business yeah i mean that's the thing that's so impressive about selby is you know your guys presence really became dominant and it became hey selby screens can offer their screen but then it became you know the the light barriers the traffic barriers you yep. guys were doing speaker posts and polls uh box offices you offered painting like you were pretty much an all-around screen service or drive-in service yeah that's right and you know the knowledge extended to even you know how best to position the projection rooms and yes you know they i mean they do the business inside and out and like you said they would they would build the whole thing for you if you wanted you know a canopy to drive in through or if there was a highway on the other side that you needed panels to block headlight or any other sort of light pollution yeah you know they would build that stuff so they, the they, order. they would do it all that's just incredible so that's what i'm really curious about and i'm sure the, the guys are as well how much of each project is, let's say, a pre-existing design versus kind of the on-the-spot need of the owner or uh, layout of the project? Well, what Jerry has is a portfolio of different trusses out there. As the engineer um, in the group, the, um, the resident geek, it's a combination of knowledge of the of what's needed, you know, a menu of structures, primarily trusses, and then uh, purlins that go across, and then the footers. So you've got that knowledge, you've got this menu of components. And then what you do is based on the specific site, you assemble those components 
you know, in, into a, a design. So right, right. it's it's sort of like, um, you know, when you order your car, uh, a brand new car, you know, you, you can, you know, you can order the Impala and then you have these 20 or 30 different things to make it your car. The, the right? TS, your, the XT, the XL it, package. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, so it's, so it's a combination of both, right? You, you've got a, a, a menu of components and then right. they get assembled to, to meet the, the demands of, of that particular site and those uh, particular soil conditions and, you know, all the things that go with, you know, the vagaries of construction. Right. Well, I mean, it segues a little bit. You are the engineer of the group. Uh, your son, Zach, handles the socials. We heard a little bit about how Dave came into things with Jerry. Did you guys come in a, like a little bit after that and team up with Dave? Is that how it worked? Dave and I go back a, a long way, you know, 15 years or so. Um, so shortly after this you know, Dave started with Jerry. One of the things I've, I've done is acted as a, a business advisor for at least a couple of Dave's efforts. And he was looking over this in this whole project and we were discussing just kind of the business model in general. Yeah. And, you know, my response was like, uh, I'd love to get in on that. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> You're like intrigued. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then I'll just toot Zach's horn. He was born an entrepreneur. So any kind of new project uh, new, new business he's just automatically interested in so yeah. he's more than more than carried his, his weight for sure sees the opportunity and we know it we know how important the uh the the hat that zach wears is the awareness of what you guys do is just as important as what you actually do <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's um i mean just just playing to this uh, you know this kind of passionate market and you know it's it's been um it's been an education it's been a lot of fun yeah well going back to dave what do you find at least from jerry that balances between need and pre-existing design the way it's set up is that there are a number of trust designs out there that they've already done so they they'll come to the owner and say you know what size screen do you want and then when you know, and, and what kind of configuration is it? And, you know, what's the shape of the site? Yep. And then uh, he'll help site the screen and then come up with a design from these pre-engineered plans yeah. that uh, will accommodate the owner. So everything's custom, but it all comes from a, a sort of a broad template. That makes right. sense. The, the tried and true tested models, if you will. Exactly. I mean, they've been doing these for decades. They, you know, can withstand high winds, all kinds of severe weather out there. They're sort of, they're known as the Cadillac of, of the industry. I mean, that's the beauty is, you know, you guys, even with the promotions that we see and we run um, at the theater, there's some amazing ones. One that I pulled up recently was like a horror related one where you had Frankenstein on a screen and it said, over the years, Selby screen towers have weathered some horrible things. <laughs> and then it goes <laughs> into, great. you know, how many That's different uh, screens you guys have built and, you know, what they can withstand. It's That's the type of stuff that, you know, really stands out. And I imagine that's the type of stuff that, uh, that Zach's digging up and sharing. We find more than anything, you know, the history of the drive-in and the history of our business is what people eat up more than uh, anything. Absolutely. It's mm -hmm. really been fun to 
learn about this whole world that I, you know, I kind of knew about it. I'm from a small town in Ohio called Creston. And, you know, I think there were 2,000 people that lived there, maybe right. a little bit more then. But Creston had its own drive-in theater. that um, wasn't open when I was there, but the structure was still there. I mean, like they were just everywhere. And that was a Selby screen, I take it. I think it was, yes. I mean, in that area, it must just be littered. And the uh, the area that you guys are in is so fantastic with even modern day drive-ins. There's still a good amount in Ohio. So let's go in, into your guys' history just in general and with drive-ins. Do you guys, all three of you, have that childhood memory or childhood connection with drive-ins? And side note, was that a selfie screen? <laughs> So I, I can lead a little bit there. So I was born in 62, so I grew up in the 70s. And so drive-ins were very much part of my life. And kind of that, you know, that whole idea of, you know, taking a date in a car and being able to be on your own and have your own private space, that that was that was really, really attractive. Oh, yeah. And, <laughs> um, and, and then, you know, the other thing is it's, you know, you're, you're kind of outside, you're watching a movie. It's it's sort of like a combination of, of watching a movie and camping at the same time. Yep. So it was this total adventure. And then you're talking about specific memories. I'll share one of my memories that involves one of the other, um, the other guests on this show. So Zach's first drive-in movie was when he was about seven or eight months old. And... Um, <laughs> And it was here in the Magic City Drive-In here in near in Barberton, Ohio. Right. And unfortunately, uh, neither Zach nor I remember what was playing, but uh, <laughs> I do I do remember going there when he was just a baby. That's incredible. That's always the case, by the way. Every single guest we talk to, it's never the movie. They can never remember the movie. It's all <laughs> right. about the experience. It's all about the things that happened while they were there. It's incredible how that happens. The movies really do become secondary. And and doesn't that say a whole lot about this culture and kind of one, you know, one of the the primary draws here is is like, it's it's the experience and and not you know the content of what you're watching. Absolutely. You know, people come to us and say, it's amazing that you guys have been able to make the retro model work. And it's like if we were running first run movies, we would put just as much love and passion into each show that we do. I think it goes beyond what's up on the screen. And it, we say that often, you know, you can come and not even stay until sundown and get your money's worth at the Mahoning, you know, it's uh, it's it's really a special thing to offer. So how about you, Dave, the history with drive-ins? Yep, I'm of Mark's vintage as well. So uh, growing up in the 60s and 70s, we had the Skyline Theater in Worcester. Yep. Which is now closed. And then the Blue Sky Theater in Wadsworth. Wadsworth is a little bit closer. And yep. that was and that was definitely a Selby screen there. In fact, I think they may have even owned that at one point or maybe built it for themselves. Yeah. But, um, yeah. I mean, my, we started going with my parents, you know, when I was probably, I don't even know, seven, eight, nine, ten years old. Yeah. I remember watching a movie about Bigfoot back then, thinking that was, <laughs> thinking that was real, you know? Yeah. And then as we got older, uh, we started going in high school. You know, that was, like Mark said, that was a place you could have a little private space with your girlfriend. Yeah. And sometimes we'd go with the boys. We'd go watch a horror film and 
probably throw a couple of beers in the back. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> pile in the car and go have a good time. We, we just love doing that. And it, we, it gave us a little bit of independence and it was entertaining. Yeah. So yeah, I've got great memories of, of those of those days. So it's been fun to get back in it and to relive some of those memories with owners around the state. And, you know, it's just fantastic. And that's the beautiful thing, the carryover of the love that you guys experienced early on and how you can really put that into what you guys do today. So I'm curious because you brought it up. At what point did Selby start just opening drive-ins where they were like, well, we are kind of the first stop when it comes to opening a drive-in. Why don't we do this thing? Yeah, I you know, I think it was probably in the 70s from what I could remember what Jerry told me. And, you know, they'd get them up and running and then they would sell them typically. Yeah. So they got to know the business inside and out. They got to know it from an owner's perspective as well as being just, you know, the contractor. So they, sure. they had a deep knowledge of how the business works and what makes it tick, you know, what makes a good movie theater experience happen, yeah. you know. And from, makes it viable and uh, potentially sellable. That's right. You know? So how do you guys know how many uh, over the years that they owned, operated, and or sold off? I don't know how many, not, not a lot, you know, right. It's not like, Oh my gosh, they had a hundred in Ohio at one point. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah. I, think, I think they had a few, but you know, not, not, they weren't a big chain of, of them or anything that they're right. Their money was, was building them, you know, yeah. and Jerry would tell me stories that they were building them so quickly that they would go out on the road and not come back for months. They would build one and go to the next site and go to the next site and go to the next wow. site. And they would just ship the steel out to the crews who were remote and just literally had that much work going that they would stay out on the road for months at a time, just building these things. And they would even pre-build the trusses so they yeah. would have them in stock. So if an owner called up, they could beat anybody when it came to getting something produced and Directed on site. The turnover time, yeah. That, that's right. And one of the magical parts about the Selby way, we'll call it, is that it looks really easy when we come out on site because they got they got everything down to a, a, a T. Every every move that you make is premeditated and right. you know, we, we know what's going on. And so we'll typically build one. We'll show up on Monday and we'll be packing it up on Friday. I mean, it, it's it's like <laughs> magic, right? I mean, yeah. it, it's just crazy. And, and people drive by and they'll, they, they can't believe how fast it was. But that's is not that up already. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it doesn't take much. All the work is done behind the scenes. So right. they, they've got it engineered su in such a way that all the long and drawn out work occurs in the shop on, in controlled conditions, Yeah. you know, with, with an inspector there. And then once everything's built, it's like a big erector set. They just yeah. get a crane out there, bolt them together, and away they go. It's amazing. Now, how much over the years has the designs changed, the planning and processing? is? Have you guys found that those 75 years have allowed you to kind of polish the gem? So it's uh, you've gotten to a point where you feel pretty confident that this is the strongest you can be? Yeah, yeah. So as, as engineer, I'll take that. I mean, 
Fundamentally, the designs are quite similar to what they were 70, 75 years ago. Their designs are, are really, I think the overused term these days is robust, which means they're just strong as can be. Sure. They're trust steel, steel towers with, you know, very substantial reinforced concrete footers. And over the years, the improvements, I, I would say, have been kind of evolutionary. There have been improvements to reduce the corrosion right. from the decades of exposure. Uh, also improvements to the screen surface materials and the paint um, that's used for good image quality. The underground footers that the structure is anchored to has been optimized and is, is really, really quite substantial. There's no such thing as too much concrete. <laughs> right. And you talked about processes. The other big changes over the decades is really how the screens are erected. So <laughs> we're using a, a lot less of the you know, sort of tie a rope to a truck method that, um, <laughs> that that you might have seen actually, you know, as as was pretty dramatically shown in in uh, Jan Krawitz's, you know, drive-in blues documentary. Oh, yeah, yeah. They've, you know, they've got ropes and trucks. That's, you know, you know, it's, it's gotten quicker and more safe and, you know, there's a lot more kind of mechanization that's, that's used in the erection, which is one of the reasons why Dave was talking about, you know, showing up on Monday and driving away on Friday. And, yeah. you know, we've seen these things go up in three days. Here's a fun little sort of engineering fact. You were talking about the wind loads and the storms. Yeah. So a, a pretty common zoning design criteria is for 90 mile an hour wind force. And at that speed, a typical screen will generate about 50,000 pounds of wind force trying to trying to blow it over. So it's kind of like the weight of a semi um, trying to push so it running right into your material. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I would say that the, ch the changes in design are, are mostly evolutionary and not, you know, major changes. And also, if I could add, we're talking about erecting screens. There's a great video on Tiffin's Facebook page. Um, they took down their old screen and then they actually recorded the process of us putting up a Selby screen. Yes. Um, really well filmed, lots of uh, good information in there. So definitely worth uh, checking out. We love the Tiffin. That's amazing. See, and that's the thing, even in these interviews that we've been conducting with owners, we're now going to try to work in that question of if they know who built their screen, you know, because we're so curious now on how wide your reach goes, which I guess you guys know, like, was there a limit to how far you guys went? Or were you like, hey, you're in California, you need a screen, we're your guys? There was no limit geographically. I remember Jerry once told me a story about being approached by the Russians. And <laughs> And they got cold feet. It wasn't trying to figure out how you're going to make a project like that work. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't think they trusted the ruble enough to, to go over there and do it. So sure. it wasn't geographic, though. I mean, I think they did one in Japan. They did one in Puerto Rico. Yeah, I mean, they've gone all over the place with these That's things. That's incredible. That is just incredible. Uh, well, now, where do you guys find that the majority of your business comes from? Do you still see a big percentage of work at drive-ins or has a lot of that kind of shifted to other bits of business? Well, the, the business that we're in is is, is just the drive-in movie theater screen. So the other businesses that Dave was referring to earlier, th those were separated companies. So we're just doing the drive-in movie theater screens. The, obviously, the the pace that we're doing them is dramatically less, right? So this is not a full-time endeavor anymore like like it used to be. Right. I would say that it's it's not uncommon for people to either upgrade their screens to a, a Selby screen or you, you'll have a, 
you know, as as they've learned, they you know, a, a blowdown where you'll have a, you know, a telephone pole and plywood screen that'll blow down in a storm. Yep. And and we'll go back in and, and put in a Selby screen. You're the saviors. Yeah, yeah. Zach has pretty specific. You were talking. You're talking about the geographic reach. I think Zach has pretty thorough knowledge on like. Uh, which, we're so curious on like what drive-in specifically. You know, you guys are responsible for really, you know, because when it comes to the experience and the wow factor of a drive-in, when you see that towering screen, there is nothing like it. I mean, it's the reason that we're all here, you know, the three of us is it just captured our hearts seeing an image seemingly larger than life up in front of your eyes. So, yeah. And I, and I would say that that's, um, again, using that overused word, it is literally larger than life. One of the few times you can really say that. Right. True. Zach, do you want to talk a bit about the, the, the market and all the states that we're in and how many screens there are and that kind of stuff? Yeah. Um, so I'll give you the headline numbers there. So when I uh, first started doing this research, I was surprised by um, just how many drive-ins are still in the U.S. There's 345 um, locations across the United States. Yep. They're in every single state aside from uh, Hawaii, North Dakota, and Alaska. I guess no surprise there for Alaska. Sure. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and most locations have more than one screen. So there's a total of 558 screens across the nation. Yep. Most of the um, locations are kind of centered around Ohio, Indiana, Pennsylvania, and then also a large group in Texas and California as well. Right. Now, do you guys know of like the number of screens remaining that are yours? Yeah, uh, I can tell you the exact number. So of the 558 screens remaining, uh, we have built 109 of them. Stopped. Stop. <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah. I mean, that is right there the, the mark of uh, longevity to say like, hey. We've literally stood the test of time to the point where, you know, one third of the screens across the country are ours. Right. And some of the screens that were built um, in the early stages back 70 years ago, they're still standing. And and what, one of the takeaways from that, you know, that one third, two thirds, one of our look, thoughts on that is, is like, that means there's two thirds of screens out there that we can go after. Without a <laughs> doubt. So is that a big part of your guys' business now is reaching out to existing drive-ins and seeing what their needs may be? Yeah, so I've started reaching out through Facebook to some of the drive-ins and we've got a couple that we're talking to right now, but yeah, that is a big part of our business today. So fantastic. I mean, we get the questions all the time from people who are in that mode of, this is all I want, this is my dream. I wanna be able to open a drive-in. Your guy's story inspires me. And that has crossed over into the podcast and the people who follow us. And I know it, you know, the, the people who are inspired and the drive-ins of the future, having a place to go as a starting point is so, so essential to keeping that dream alive. Because sometimes, especially when it comes to things that are larger than life, it seems too big to even imagine. And you guys put a true structure to that dream and say, here's exactly how we can make it happen. Here's what it's going to cost, you know? And that's one of the advantages is that since this is a the, the line of business, if you just called some contractor out there to do this, they would have to basically reinvent the wheel. Yeah. 
to get this thing done. And, and what they, <laughs> what they contractors have learned apparently is that, you know, they can't charge enough to, to go up the learning curve. You know, right. they, and, and so we become almost the de facto go-to uh, for, is if people know who we are because yeah. they know that we can get these things built and we can get it built quickly and they'll be reliable and they'll be of top-notch quality if you want to drive in the screen you go to selby there's no question about it that's the idea yeah we like hearing that and you know the other thing from a kind of a macro business point of view is this is a, a pretty attractive you know very small business for us for one person in this industry but it's it becomes much less attractive as soon as you get, you know, two people trying to divide up a very small pie. Yeah. And as Dave said, you know, the learning curve for figuring out how to do this, it's like as a general contractor, they just would not want to spend the time to learn that. And then, you know, have the opportunity to build a screen a year or something like that. It's similar to what we find with our 35 millimeter techs. There's a certain era of folks that, that was their knowledge base, you know, is they know how to do it. And then at a certain point, it's just, there was no need to learn it. So now it's become truly an obsolete uh, skill set. <laughs> no, I think that's, that's a great analogy. That, that's a really good analogy. It's, it's, you know, it's good. It's good for one or two or a few, but it's not good for many. Right. Absolutely. So through your guys' rich history and uh, the business's rich history, have the, are there any kind of choice stories or incidents um, of building construction or uh, constructing the screens or projects that started and kind of puttered out? Did you guys find that that's something that happened throughout the history? Beginning with the last question first, absolutely. You know, we will work with developers or site owners or whoever they are, you know, to do a cost analysis and, and see if they can make this a viable operation. We've, right. we've done a number of workups for people to see if they could make a go of it and, you know, go back to their investors and so forth. And not, not you know, not all the projects go forward. You know, that's just the way it goes. I mean, sure. that's just kind of what, you know, and on the construction piece, every construction project has a new surprise <laughs> lying in wait for you. You never know what it's going to be. Um, underground site conditions, for example, Oh, yeah. um, especially on an old movie theater site, you don't know what's down in there. Typically, there's old footers and steel and all kinds of things in there because our, our footers are very large. So you've got a lot of soil to remove and getting in there and working around what's there. I mean, we've run into, you know, pre-existing old footers that were there that, you know, we've had to somehow find a way to remove. Oh, and, God. Yeah. Right. And it's, you know, just a nightmare. The other thing that you, especially when you're, you know, we have these very long screen panels that we swing up there. If you see a, a black cloud on the horizon, you need to put your stuff away. <laughs> yeah, there ain't <laughs> no way that project's happening. Because <laughs> <laughs> those winds will take, I mean, it's it's scary. You'll see these 50 foot long pieces of steel yeah. swinging in the breeze like a feather, you know, and you don't want to be around that. So, you know, we oh, yeah. safety comes first. And, you know, when we see weather coming in, we batten down the hatches and wait for another day. Yeah, everything is a halt. Well, that's that's the craziest thing is as much as you plan, you have the history behind you. There is an element going into it where it's just like, even though this is all laid out for you, just be ready. 
there's a lot of other factors that come into play. There, there certainly are. And so what you learn in, in the construction industry, probably like any other, is that you need to be able to think on your feet. You know, we had one time, we had the torch tanks, one of the valves broke, you know, a lot of times these screens are out in the middle of, well, nowhere, really. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, if you're working over a weekend and you need some uh, acetylene or something, you've got to work really hard to figure out how to find that because you don't want to stop, right? You want to get these things up. You don't want to have to go back and, and restart the project. So sure, you'll learn how to really figure things out quickly uh, to get the job done. I'm curious because our property is a neighbor to an airport, a private airport, albeit, but we got planes coming in and out on a regular basis. If it were reversed and the uh, airport were there pre-existing, does that create issues for you guys and where you can put your screens, I imagine? Oh, yeah. So it's 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 kind of interesting. So you're actually talking to um, at least three pilots on, on this on this end. So, <laughs> I love it. You guys can fly on in. <laughs> I also looked at your thing. It looks like there's a little service road that connects the end of that airport to your um your you screen. Can literally, so you can literally <laughs> land and just walk o- over to, you, uh, man. <laughs> to meet with you guys. Yeah. So if your screen is not in the quote unquote right away of the airport, and the air- airports do have right aways, it would only be a problem if an airport was already there and somebody wanted to build a screen off of one end or the other of the runway pretty close to it. Right. But you'd have to be pretty close. You know, the, these screens stick up, you know, 60 feet or something like that, 60 feet-ish. So, you know, if you're, I don't know what the actual number is, but if you're a half mile from the runway, you're you're good. Well, I'm curious as an engineer, you know, like you are responsible for kind of recreating the landscape of the area and seeing your structures once they're done and uh, have kind of come to fruition is there a uh, a level of proud for you that's just like jumping out of your body like we saw this that we made this happen that's a great question so it's one of the reasons why i like mowing my yard is like when i start and i usually wait too long and then when i'm done i i, I look back at that you know a few hours later and, and go damn that looks really good like look at me <laughs> but but when you put up a screen it's such an imposing structure that it's like there was nothing there before yeah. and now there's this huge ass structure there and we did that <laughs> so it's it's pretty cool that's the amazing thing you know the visual tie-in and a lot of the drive-ins uh, owners that we're speaking to they're in totally you know flatland areas where you can see their screen for, for practically miles you know and still it's one of those visuals that the abandoned drive-ins you know in a certain area of the country you can see those screens you know so far away and it does it becomes part of the landscape and a part of what people love about the drive-in you know as much as our marquee is a part of the the township's layout and a part of their treasure so is the screen you know making that turn and seeing that big towering screen it's just it takes your breath away it is dramatic and, and there is it's not subtle oh yeah uh well i'm curious you know being that you guys are drive-in fans if you had the opportunity to run a drive-in for a night 
do you have a go-to kind of dream double feature kind of just give a people a, a taste of where your fandom lies i actually saw the movie contact i think that was one of the earliest memories i have um, at a drive-in um, but watching contact with that dark starry night <sighs> as the background was just incredible so i think that would be my first one and then to follow that up interstellar Two perfect space movies. We always say it. Space does amazingly at the driving because there's no separation. The exactly. screen, the sky, it's like your world has become the movie. <laughs> that's cool. That's that is a great one. Oh, that's great. How about you, Mark? So I, I guess I would have two recommendations. One of them, which I'm sure you hear a lot, is showing kind of double features of an original and a modern remake, you know, like the like the Willy Wonka movies or I the like West this Side. idea. Yeah, the West Side Story movies, or I think there was a movie called The Thing that was came out in 51, and then there was a remake in 82. Oh, yeah. The Casino Royale remake, you know, those are those are pretty different. You think oh. like a programmer, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> and I like that. We actually have an event called Remake Double Take, which there is, it's exactly that. This year, we're doing Invasion of the Body Snatchers, the original, and then the uh, 78 remake. Well, I knew I wasn't creative there, but I'm glad I'm at least, um, you know, uh, sort of batting with the players. So Heck great. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That'll draw a crowd. That's a profitable night right there. <laughs> That's Yeah, exactly. It's going to appeal to tons of people like me. <laughs> the other one, which is really kind of nerdy, is I was a huge fan of those Mystery Science Theater 3000 shows that were on in the 90s and the double aughts. My man, yep. And they, they were like this old spoof of sci bad sci-fi movies. And like as a as a nerd, I kind of like the sci-fi movies to start with, but yeah. kind of the pr the premise is is that you're watching a small audience, which was like originally I think it was Joel Hodgson, and later on it was Mike Nelson. So maybe you're related to Mike. Who knows, Mark? And no relation um, as far as I know, but if there's money in it for me, I'll pursue it. <laughs> <laughs> and each of these guys, they would have like these robot friends that would be forced to watch this bad sci-fi movie, and so it's kind of like, and, and then they would be making fun of the movie constantly. Yeah. And so it's sort of like you're in a movie watching a movie, which seems a little bit like the drive-in experience. So I think it'd be fun to string two or three of those together in a night and, you know, maybe have like an MST3K Monday or something. Yes, like that. come on. <laughs> there is a perfect crossover with the love of the drive-in and the mystery science crowd without a doubt. Yeah. How about you, Dave? Yeah. Well, I love Mark's uh, mystery science theater uh, answer because I used to love the first time i turned that on i'm like what is going on when i was very young I, if you guys remember the ghoul was on Goularty. oh yeah oh yeah Goularty was uh the, the king really yeah so i grew up with that so when mystery science theater came on i, I fell right in, in line with that you know ter you know campy movies with funny commentary running alongside of it since i am a child of the 60s and 70s i would probably go into the the dark side a little bit i love the old scary movies like texas chainsaw massacre yeah. i think it's a masterpiece for a horror film and um you know maybe something a little less scary but you know something like the blob i just to me those those kinds of movies just go there you know probably because i watched them at, at the blue sky theater or someplace right. at one point 
I mean, the horror stuff really lends itself. You know, if you're watching a movie based outside, surrounded right. by the woods, exactly. <laughs> it's like, you know, you couldn't pay for a better set design. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, I know Jeff has to uh, run for an appointment, so I want to give him the opportunity to ask you guys any questions that might be on his mind. Yeah, I don't know, uh, you guys, what kind of a detailed photo you looked at when you saw our drive-in. I was always curious who built our screen, because it's it's not like it's it's all steel girders and it's it's massive, and I'm just wondering because. Back in 1949, it was built with all Bethlehem steel. That I can figure out. That we figured out. But who was building screens like that? And I know you won't be able to tell if you, if you didn't see a detailed photo of our screen. You probably won't be able to tell me. But I've seen a couple screens like it, but those drive-ins are long since gone. Ours is the only one that I can even find anymore. It's kind of like corrugate metal on the front, like a wavy. Well, yeah, but that, yeah, that was typical. But I mean, the back of it, I'm talking the steel girders and, and, the, oh, right. and, and the massive footers. And I mean, it's... it's. So I, I haven't seen any pictures up close. I've seen pictures from afar. And I think Zach has like, you know, characterized the all screen, um, you know, a year or so ago. But I, I don't have enough detail to, to be able to tell who would have built that but it does sound like it becomes a destination for us to to check out as we're flying through there since you're right next to an airport we might have to drop check on it out. in <laughs> yeah. yeah please do i would love to have you take a look at it and see if you have any idea who was building screens like that back then especially on the east coast there were a couple in allentown that had these huge steel screens like ours but they're all gone now as far as screen construction and i look at it when i see photos of other drive-ins ours is the only screen left that i know of it even has a walkway across the top a catwalk huh. it's just it's massive on the back and i'm just wondering who did that back then so yeah you guys got to come on down and take a look at it we'd love to well, that kind of is the question. I mean, you guys are the kings of the industry. Did you have a lot of competition pop up over the, the history of Selby? Well, we weren't really around, you know, back then when they were sure, sure. it. But um, it seems to me that they didn't. And I think mainly because they already had it figured out, right? And so if other people were trying to enter the market. Selby already, you know, had good pricing. They could get them erected in, in no time flat. I think they were able to, you know, keep the competition out. That's why they're still here today doing them. Yeah. Well, you guys said it. You were there at the right time or they were there at the right time. It was yeah. a situation that, you know, as the industry boomed, it created a need. And, uh, you know, the Selby's really found a way to fill that need in the best way possible to the point that they're still rocking 75 years later. It's just amazing. Incredible. Well, I'm curious, you know, because you guys are, are so active out there still, how would our drive-in fans or the drive-in fans across the world find you guys and follow you guys or get in contact with you guys if they're uh, ready to take the jump? Zach, that, 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 was, a, that was a softball pitch to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we're, uh, we're pretty active on Facebook. If you just Google or if you search Selby Screens on Facebook, we'll pop up. Um, we're pretty well connected with all the drive-ins across the states, so you'll see us there. We also have a website, selbyscreens.com. We've got some old ads, um, some basic information, um, and some pictures of more recent builds that we've done. Um, and we've also got an Instagram page, Selby Screens. 
we are really into the old school snipes and ads and things like that. Being that you guys are a 75 uh, year old business, do you guys have any of that stuff laying around old promotional materials, things like that ads that you used to send out? I have one old ad that used to be pretty popular, but finding this stuff is just so challenging. Needle in a haystack now. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's always my biggest thing talking to, uh, you know, these long-term, long-running businesses is, especially ones that embrace their history, um, is if they have any of that old material. You know, when we talk to Ricos and folks like that, it's like, it's such a long-running history. You never know if there's a box of gold laying around <laughs> Right, right. Well, we can't tell you guys enough how much we appreciate not only what you're doing now, but what Selby has done for this industry. Um, the fact that we have a strong standing drive-in movie theater screen company is incredible. So uh, you guys are doing the Lord's work. Continue uh, rocking it. Well, I, I just couldn't say how what a privilege it is to be on your show, and and you know this is really very much appreciated. We just we think this is great, so thank you very much for inviting me. It's a dream for us. I mean, like we said, we got into this to save a singular drive-in, and we've been blessed with the voice to be able to speak on drive-ins and the culture, and speak to the people who really appreciate and long for that nostalgia and. You know, again, this is exactly why we started the podcast, so we can talk to folks like you guys. So uh, the pleasure is all ours. All right. I think on that note, Jeff, take it away, my friend. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks again for coming out tonight to the Mahoning Drive-In Theater. We hope you'll come back and see us again real soon. The exit is on the right-hand side of the screen at the front of the field. And most importantly, have a very safe trip home. Good night and God bless you. <laughs>